0: Today, we now welcome on former Atlanta Falcons wide receiver and current broadcaster at 680 The Fan, Mr. Brian Finneran. Finn, welcome on to Division Two Sports Radio. Thanks, happy to join you, man. Absolutely. So let's talk about your career a little bit before we talk about our current status with the Atlanta Falcons. So you played your college ball at Villanova. What was your experience like at Nova when you were, and uh, were you in attendance when uh, Chris Jenkins actually hit that buzzer beater back in 2016?
1: So I graduated from Villanova in 98. So Villanova um, was awesome. I was a different kind of uh, circumstance, I guess you could say. I left California. And my wife at the time was on bed rest with our first child, uh, my girlfriend at the time. We got married my sophomore year. At Villanova, and they were so accommodating and so understanding and uh, so helpful with everything that was going on. I got married my sophomore year, and uh, by the time I graduated, we had two young kids, um, kind of donning the field at uh, Villanova. So it was um, it was awesome. Uh, My number one goal when I got there was to try to get an education, uh, graduate, and get a job when I was done. And football kind of took off. So lucky for me, and then greatest story and I, what I call at times the greatest sports moment of my life which is kind of sad because I wasn't even involved in it <laughs> only 12 years in the NFL
2: right? Um, I worked or I got a
1: call during right before the final four in 2016 and gosh it was North Carolina Villanova
0: was it Michigan and Oklahoma maybe or something like that or Oklahoma and somebody I believe you're and, on the right track yeah
1: yeah and uh, they called and asked if I would do their team stream so I to do the Homer broadcast for Villanova. Really? And then, like, West Durham and what was his name? Jay
2: something did it for North Carolina. So, and then Oklahoma State was there, and uh, we beat Oklahoma State bad. And then and then we got to the final game, Villanova versus
1: North Carolina, and by far the most incitable, just excitable, fun Gut wrenching, ecstatic moment of my sports career I was sitting courtside with Scott Graham, who was a play by play guy, and I was a color guy for the team stream on True TV. And uh, to call that game, Chris Jenkins literally hit the three pointer and went 15 feet in front of where I was sitting. It was, wow. uh, it was spectacular. It really was pretty special.
0: Yeah, that's a uh, that's an all-time moment in sports history for me as well. I remember I was in Washington, D.C., actually, when I saw Chris Jenkins knock that buzzer beater down. And it was just so back and forth at the end of the game. And um, it's awesome to see, uh, you know, what Coach Wright's done with that program. So um, that's a great story. I appreciate you sharing that with us. But, Finn, let's talk about uh, your time in the NFL. I know you played a little bit in Europe, is that correct, prior to coming to the NFL? Yeah, yeah, with the Seattle as
1: a uh, undrafted free agency. Seahawks, um, got through training camp, was one of the last cuts, didn't really, wasn't ready to play, didn't have the confidence to play, went home, spent about five months in Southern California at my in-laws, and then jumped on a ship to Orlando for spring tra- for a training camp for Barcelona Dragons, and then two weeks later, we're off on a plane and spent four months in Barcelona and played in NFL Europe, and that's when I came back to sign with the Philadelphia Eagles, that didn't work, out so good, I dropped the ball in my first game, um, practice. There was a lot of football back-to-back, and I just needed to be better. And um, Andy Reed's first year as a head coach, he cut me. Donovan McNabb was the backup quarterback at the time, first-round draft pick. And Doug Peterson, who was most recently the head coach of um, the Philadelphia Eagles, was my quarterback at the time. So my first NFL catch was from Doug Peterson. Wow. I got two catches for 19 yards as an eagle in three games, and then they cut me. And then that's when... Kind of everything changed. Sat out eight weeks, and then the Falcons put me in the practice squad, and I spent the next 11 years
0: as a Falcon. Right, and in your early playing days here in Atlanta, you got the privilege to play with the uh, prolific and always exciting Mr. Michael Vick. So could you kind of tell me what Vick was like as a teammate, and uh, what did he do for the culture of Atlanta sports in his early playing days? So
1: Mike, as a teammate, was awesome. Um, He was – he was super laid back, he was. He had a good sense of humor, but um, when you get on the football field, in-game type stuff, um, I have, there's not many better competitors than Michael Vick. Every moment meant so much, and every every opportunity he had to let his body do the things that was he was capable of doing, to help us win games, he did it. I mean, whether it was, Getting flipped over, head over heels, trying to dive into the end zone, or just floating over the ground against Carolina way back in like '04, maybe or whatever it was,
0: um, scrambling around in Green Bay. Yeah, uh, to beat them in a in a postseason game. But the, everything
2: he did, he's such an ultimate competitor. And then when you talk about
1: the culture of Atlanta, it was um, it was Michael Vick was everything. I mean, he embraced the city. He was what this city was about, as far as um, his demographic and the diversity, um, the athleticism, the all the athletes that come out of Atlanta, the stardom, the firepower, um, and and uh, the celebrityness of what he was what he was doing was was probably the best it's ever been. Maybe Deion Sanders when he first got here yeah. had some of that, but. Michael Vick was was everything to
0: this city, for sure. Right. For a good reason. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, It's always cool hearing a former teammate talk about a player like Michael Vick and, you know, paying him the respect that I think that at this point in time here in Atlanta he does deserve and he receives from the majority of the fan base. Um, You also got the privilege of learning from one of my favorite coaches ever, Dan Reeves. Um, What did you learn from Coach Reeves in your earliest playing days? So, Dan was old school.
1: And uh, if you just, if you just, as a player, you should probably know what your coach is all about. So you Google guys, and this was, I was playing for Dan Rees in 99, 2000, 2001, 2002, and 2003. So there was, he was the only coach for me that there was a slight fear factor. And the fear wasn't because he was so, such a hard ass, it was more because um, he expected so much out of you, and he didn't want to disappoint him. And he held everybody accountable. Nobody nobody was different than anybody else, which was great. It's part of the reason we were pretty good uh, for a couple of years. We obviously lost Jamal Anderson to a couple of knee injuries, which really hurt our offense. But Dan Reeves is one of my favorite people in the world, one of my favorite coaches in the world. And he um, just put people in situations to win. Like, I think of Dan – we had a play – when I was playing from like in 2002, we just he just called it um, like is the formations I write. It might be a little motion Z Sadie, and then the play was called Thin Win, sure. which is just a there's a fade route to me. And everybody in, in the offensive huddle knew what we were doing. The cornerback might have been five eight or five ten or something, and he just thought to yourself he didn't stand a chance, and uh, he just used people to the best ability and, and made it happen.
0: Right, and 2002 is probably your best statistical season as a pro. Uh, You started all 16 games for the Dirty Birds, and you led the team in receiving yards and touchdowns. You and Vic built a really special connection. What clicked for you during that 2002 season? It's a great question. I started building confidence in 2000 with Chris Chandler in 2001.
1: right? I I think in 2001, I want to say, I think I had 23 catches from Chandler. I think I had, um, I averaged 21 yards per catch. I had three touchdowns. I was making tackles on special teams. I was protecting our punter and, and covering kicks and everything else. And we just had really little successes like that. You know, having catches for touchdowns, making tackles. I was starting to feel a confidence in myself, which I which I lost for a while in Seattle and Philadelphia. And places you get cut and fire and people tell you you're not good enough. So. I just started building that confidence. I had great coaches around me. Uh, Joe DiCamillis was our special teams coordinator under Dan Reeves, and he really taught me how to play and and, and, uh, how I was going to play special teams that would get me on the football field more, which is so right. I mean, a lot of people don't understand that now. If you're a second, third, fourth receiver, second tight end, third or fourth linebacker, third safety, and the only way you get on the football field is get on special teams. And then you start impressing people on special teams. And then you get in the real action of defense or, or on offense. So um, good people around me.
0: Started building some confidence and, and then started getting rolling. Right. And, you know, you talk about how you kind of got your start on special teams, even though you were catching balls from Chris Chandler for a little while there. Um, you know, what advice would you give some of these undrafted free agents that are coming in that were drafted this past weekend Specifically here in Atlanta, we brought in, I believe, 19 free agents uh, that were undrafted. Uh, do you have any advice or, you know, how would you kind of try to mentor one of those players or what could you tell them about coming into the league?
1: So, I was, I was those guys, so I'm exactly the person to talk to them. And they're
2: there for a reason. I'd say to all 19 of them, you're here for a reason. Right. Like we're, we're not gonna waste. We're not gonna waste your time, and um, do something different.
1: You're the guys we sc- we scouted. We scouted you. We want you here. Now show us you can play, and um, and you gotta take advantage of your
2: opportunities. I mean, some guys, to be honest with you, just aren't good enough to play, and and that's a fact. Other guys are, struggle. In certain areas, but with their work ethic
1: and performance on the field, you can stick around. So when you need an opportunity to do anything in practice, do it 100%. If you catch a touchdown, if you catch a slant route for 15 yards, take it an extra 30. If you catch a deep dig um, for a 20-yard reception, you know, let somebody bounce off of you and, and tuck that football and go another 40 yards. And then if you hit the sideline, catch a quick out route, Put your foot in the ground and get upfield field, don't just run out of bounds. There's so many different things guys can do to impress coaches on the football field and show them they're smart football players and they're capable football players. So it's just a minute. It just takes one. And special teams is where it starts for those 19 guys that were undrafted free agents. But there's always a diamond in the rough um, that can come up and, and just has a little something to impress the coaching staff. It's tough to make it from the, for those guys. I mean, give us that nine draft picks. So, there's not that many spots on a football team, 53 and 45, playing a game, and uh, you just kind of press people, keep working hard, and show them you're willing to do anything and everything. Like, and know, your, and know your position. Know the offense. Know the defense. Like, I was able to play as long as I did because I knew the X receiver. I knew the Y receiver. I knew the Z receiver. I knew how to play in the slot. I knew all the
2: motions. Shoot, if I had to, I could line up in the backfield or line up as a tight end if I had to, which I did in my career. Because you understand the offense and know what's going on. So understand the offense as a whole,
1: focus on your craft, but know every position you possibly can play.
0: Right, and I think that's, you know, very, very great advice to give some of these young guys that are coming in and very well could be competing for some roster spots with some of these veterans on the team that are still under contract that the team may look to uh, save a little money on and maybe not pay here soon. Um, You know, with the salary cap being the way that it is, it is a debacle. Um, I do want to kind of talk, talk about, uh, something that's kind of uh, a little bit fun for me. So during the early days of quarantine, ESPN hosted an NFL players Madden tournament, and the game is incredibly popular specifically with our fans. So Finn, I'm sure you, uh, you probably still hear this constantly, but you were an absolute monster in Madden back in the day. I believe that the game may have uh, mistakenly listed you as six, seven or six, eight, if I recall, um, (laughs) Every ball that came your way during the game, you were Moss and defensive backs. So, I'm curious, did you ever play Madden during your time in the league? And if not, did you uh, play your post-career maybe with your kids or with any of your former teammates? It's so funny. Um, So,
1: there's an all-Madden legend team. And on the offensive side of the ball, there's three receivers. There's two starters and a backup. And the two starters are – Randy Moss and Brian Finner, and our backup, I think, is Jerry Rice. (laughs) So, That's how ridiculous it is. But everybody in the world, not just America, but in the world, because you could play online, um, wanted to be the Atlanta Falcons because of Michael Vick. There's no no denying that. He was so popular and such a force in Madden and on the regular football field that everybody wanted to be the Falcons. So... Whenever that started happening, I was a guy that had the fifty six catches
2: and six touchdowns and two, two point conversions and <laughs> was running around and had like five fade
1: routes for touchdowns. So my jumping jump rating went up to like ninety nine, my speed went to like ninety, catch catching ability went to like ninety nine and before he knew it, I think I had like a ninety eight overall rating and uh, before you knew it, I think people would call me the glitch a glitch in the system because like you said, every time you threw up, um, the, the player on Madden uh, would make plays. So my kids played forever, um, and uh, they enjoyed it. I have never been able to grasp it. I played a little bit and got my head beat in by my own kids. <laughs> um, but I, I enjoy it. I think the graphics and what they do is is pretty special, and it's
2: fun to see. And my kids, my kids love doing it.
0: Maybe they need to uh, go back and add Dan Reeves' famous uh, Finn Win play uh, to the game, right? Um, <laughs> so, Finn, uh, I, I want to kind of shift gears here. I know you probably don't love talking about this, but the story is absolutely unbelievable. So, in 2006, I believe, you suffered a devastating knee injury that cost you a couple years of your career. Um, can you kind of just talk me through what battling through that adversity was like before you made your return back in uh, 2008? Yeah, it was
1: brutal. Um, I was lucky to have a good support system and, and people around me, my wife and family and, and the Falcons training staff and, and trainers and doctors and everybody else. But shredded my knee in 2006, two days in the training camp, just signed a four-year deal and ran a one-on-one route against Jimmy Williams, kid out of uh, Virginia Tech. He was rookie at the time and I planted and he kind of bumped me in my I turned my knee in and my foot stayed in the ground and my knee just kind of exploded to our ACL, MCL, PFL. My kneecap was on the outside of my knee, uh, ripped the VMO muscle off the bone. It was, it was devastating. So I had surgery um, uh, a few weeks later and
2: uh, got ready for the 2007 season. So 10 months into that surgery,
1: my the cadaver ligament they put into my right ACL, just my body rejected it. And I was gone. And uh, I was running around in the barn in our indoor facility with uh, DJ Shockley. And uh, he threw me, pass, threw me about 20 passes, by the way. And the last one I caught, I turned up field. My knee went a little sideways, and I tore it again. And uh, I had to do the whole thing all over again. So that's really when I got into the radio business. I called 680 The Fan. Bobby Petrino was our coach, who was a real... Um, I didn't know how to put it. I'm not gonna put it nicely, but he was—he was not my favorite coach. And That's a good way to put it. <laughs> yeah, and uh, I was just checked out, so I didn't want to just rehab. So rehabbing is really monotonous and time-consuming and painful and miserable at times. So I didn't just want to do that another year. That would be two straight years of rehabbing just doing that. So, and I thought my career was over anyway. So I was—I called Six Eighty as a fan where I work now on the radio station with Dickie Broadcasting. And um, I said, you guys do any internships? And they said, sure. So I was on from 7 to 10, Monday, Thursday, and Friday for the football season. And I'm sure I was terrible, but I got got my feet wet and started learning the system. and, And that's where my career is now, 10 years after retiring from football, 10 years in radio.
2: It's crazy.
0: Yeah, definitely, you know, and it's it's wild, though, because you did fight your way back, of course. Uh, I'll talk about that here in a minute, but I do want to ask, uh, you know, was it kind of difficult and a little bit mentally defeating? You mentioned Bobby Petrino, who I I absolutely despise mentioning on this program uh, as a Falcons fan, but we spoke with Ovi Mihaly, a friend of the show, and I know a friend of yours as well, former teammate, um, he, he had a pretty cool story about how, when he was doing a game for the ACC network, he ran into Bobby Petrino for the first time since he had seen him. And he told us that, uh, Petrino was a little concerned that he was going to beat him up. Um, but, uh, so with everything that happened with Michael Vick and then Petrino leaving on short notice and leaving with simply just, you know, giving the team a note and then, you know, parting ways on his motorcycle out of town. Um, did everything that was going on with the team make you even more motivated to get back on the field? It's um, a good question.
1: You wanted, you wanted the Falcons to be good again, for sure. I mean, that's a team I've been with at the time for eight years. And um, we got had have some bad years, but nothing quite that bad. So, yeah, I think so. And I think that showed because at the end of that 2007 season, we fired everybody. I mean everybody, and obviously Vic was in prison, and, and Matt Ryan gets gets drafted, and we have a new GM and a new head coach and a new offensive coordinator, and here I am sitting there, right? I've got two years of not playing football. I got a bad knee. I just had two surgeries on, and um, I got to impress everybody in that building and let them know that I can still play football, and they need me here, and. I did that, which was which was crazy to come to come to think of it. I mean, making it through like one coaching change is good, but I made it through Reeves, Mora, Petrino, and Mike Smith. Yeah, and that goes that says a lot about the guys that had coaching me that believed in me. But it also said a lot about what I was doing on the field and, and how impactful it was. Because as a big receiver, I could play spe- every single special teams and go out there on first, second, and third down and do whatever they needed me to do. So I lined up as tight end. I lined up as fullback. I lined up as a contain on kickoff coverage. I was a wing on punt protection. I rushed. I was a return punt returner, backup punt returner, and off returner at times. I returned kickoffs. I returned punts. Um, I caught a fake punt at one time in my career. I got an onside kick at one time. I recovered an onside kick. So I think one of the, I haven't carried a football in the NFL as a running back, and I. I haven't thrown a pass in the NFL, but besides that, I think I've
0: done just about everything. Uh, I bet the team would have liked to have had you in the Dallas Cowboys game this past oh season most God. definitely, right? That was, <laughs> I've oh. never been so disgusted in my life. <laughs> yeah, that was crazy. But, uh, Finn, you mentioned Matt Ryan, and Matt Ryan is, without a doubt in my mind, the greatest player in Atlanta Falcons franchise history. Um you know, there was a lot of rumors this offseason that, you know, maybe new general manager Terry Fontenot was looking at a quarterback. He did attend essentially every single one of these, uh, you know, young quarterbacks pro days. And uh, it, was, it ended up being a smokescreen after all. Um, but Matt Ryan took the Falcons to the playoffs in year one. Um, what are your memories and feelings regarding that special 2008 season and Coach Mike Smith's first year as the head coach? It was awesome. Was a breath of fresh air, especially after Petrino. I like Coach Mora, who was three there three years before Petrino got there and was in and out thirteen
1: games. Right. Um, but Smitty I mean, was awesome. He was great. That 2008 year was was like a rebirth, not only for the Atlanta Falcons, who had been had never had back to back winning seasons, but never have a franchise quarterback
2: last more than what six or seven years. Yeah. Uh, maybe
1: Barkowski did it back in the day, but they weren't a very good football team at times. Right. Um, we just started, we started a new, we started a new with Matt Ryan. I mean, that was 2008. That guy's been in the league for 13 years now, going on 14. And uh, he's been a stalwart. And by far, like you said, the best Atlanta Falcon in the history of the franchise. Um, 2008
2: was awesome. Uh, to find a winning season, to get Michael
1: Turner in free agency to get Mike Malarkey as an offensive coordinator, to finally get um, one of my favorite receiver coaches, Terry Rabisky, uh, to lead our group as well, which was a really good group. It was, uh, at the time, a young Roddy White, Michael Jenkins, Eric Weems, Harry Douglas. I mean, we had a, we had a, and myself, we had a really good group that played five, six, seven years together. And the um, season was one of my favorites. It was
2: absolutely fantastic. and then, I think that was Arizona. Yeah. We lost that year. But um it was great to bounce
1: back to rejuvenate the city. Uh to rejuvenate the football team and the franchise and everything else. Matt Ryan is a was a
2: godsend in two thousand and eight.
0: Absolutely. Uh hopefully one day, and I'm sure Arthur Blank will uh, build that statue for number two because he absolutely yeah, yeah. deserves it outside Mercedes-Benz Stadium. Um Finn, Uh, you mentioned earlier that you survived four coaching regimes, but yourself and Jonathan Babineau were those two players who survived through those. Um, Roddy White as well with a few of those regimes, but you uh, you played in Atlanta for many years and you still remain a fan favorite to this day. And your story hits home in many different ways, not just for Falcons fans, but fans all across the league. So what is your favorite memory during your time wearing the red and black here in Atlanta? That's a good
1: question. Um, I guess personally, my first touchdown was pretty cool. I, had, I was never—I could never celebrate. I think I scored 35 touchdowns in college, and uh, you really could never, you know, do anything, dance, or spike the ball or
2: whatever else. So um, it was a cool play. Um, it was the San Francisco
1: 49ers. We were in the Georgia Dome. Chris Chandler was the quarterback. I think it was a one, if I'm not mistaken maybe 2,000, and um, they were bringing an all-out blitz. I mean, everybody was at, within eight yards of the line of scrimmage. We could just tell the way they had to pin in their ears back there coming after us, after us. And Chandler looked over at me, from, and I was off to the left on a, in an position as a split end, and uh, he gave me a little signal. He, picked a, he took his hands out from under center, and he grabbed his ring finger on his left hand, I thought to myself, all right, I think he says that he wants me to run a hitch because he's hitched. You're married, you're hitched. Yeah. Uh, I ran an eight-yard hitch. He threw the ball high and outside. The corner took a bad angle, and I raced down the sideline 47 yards for my first touchdown in my NFL career, and he continued down the goal, down the uh, kind of the back-end line, and dunked the ball on the goalpost, and, and uh, it was just, it was like three minutes left in the fourth quarter as well, so it was just a it was an awesome moment to catch a ball like that on a, uh, an adjusted route, sprint past everybody, and then go and be able to celebrate and tuck it on the goalposts. One of my favorite moments. And then there's a few iconic deals, like catching a touchdown in um, in Green Bay was pretty sweet. Uh, I had a diving slant route I caught from Chandler as well. Um, playing up there in the, um, in the snow with Vic when we won – uh, the playoff game was awesome, so there's little moments here and there, but personally, I guess that first
0: touchdown was pretty special. Uh, I'm surprised that uh, when you were commentating the game uh, there in, uh, you know, the National Championship, Jay Wright didn't ask you to uh, come in after seeing that dunk uh, with the six five frame, of course. <laughs> uh, so, Finn, you mentioned earlier you did make the move to the broadcast game, and you've done an outstanding job, uh, you know, back with uh, the great Sandra Golden, and then, of course, now with uh, Johnny Michaels, who... I absolutely love. I followed him back uh, during uh, his days with ninety two nine as well. When the Falcons went to the Super Bowl, he was outstanding. Um, what has your time been like working at six eighty the fan with Dickey Broadcasting? And uh, what's your favorite interview that you have done so far? Oh man, it's a good question. Gosh Almighty, I don't know if I have the favorite interview answer just yet, but I'll I'll think
1: about it. Um, <laughs> I was so raw and inexperienced because I didn't take communications. I was super shy in high school and most of my time, probably the first two or three years in college. So I wasn't really ready to have to enunciate and speak and and uh, pronounce names right and do everything else. So not that I was a dummy, but I just I just didn't know what I was doing. So um, I had so many people at 6:80 the fan where I'd been for. I actually had a stint. So it started in 2003. I did a one-hour show every Tuesday with Perry, Laurentino, and Max Howell. It was one o'clock on Tuesdays, our day off. It was at a Pontiac Buick GMC Hummer dealership off Car Parkway. Got a free Hummer to drive around for the (laughs) year, so that was a win. And then, obviously, hurt my knee in 06, called them in 07, I hurt it again. Did an internship, played three more years, like like you've said. From 2008 to 2010 with Matt Ryan and a bunch of guys. And, and then in 2010, I was just, I retired after that season. We lost to Green Bank in the postseason in 2011. I retired and uh, my wife and kids got tired of me being home. So I got a couple of jobs. <laughs> One of them was the radio. We were on from 10 to oh, we were on 9 to noon every day. Um, so guys that worked with Christopher Rood, who was super helpful. Um, Perry Laurentino, like I said, John Kincaid was awesome. Buck Baloo has been there forever with me and then Steve Shapiro was awesome. Sandra Colton, who you mentioned great Mariner for God's sakes, who
2: was the top 40 guy who joined us mm-hmm. early in my career, trying to figure out what the hell we were doing. <laughs> and, um, you just kind of play with it. You get
1: repetitions, You try to build, build an audience and build a, um, a fan base. And I think, I think I have a, uh, a decent mentality and opinions about sports and what's going on that a lot of people can understand and then uh, and agree with for the most part. Um, so just able to grow it and uh, sign a deal with 680 the Fan, a six-month kind of, let's see if you can do it, six months, 36 grand um, football season deal. They liked what they heard. I wasn't very good again. And, um, after that, they sent me to one-year deal or a two-year deal, three deal. So ten years later, I'm still there doing my thing.
0: Right, and uh, you know, it's really cool to see the transition that you made. And you mentioned kind of being, you know, a little bit quieter back in, uh, you know, your college days and. It's been great honestly watching you know a former player be able to transition like you have you said you're not you didn't start off that great but I've been listening for some time now and I think that uh you got some good advice there from guys like Christopher Rude and then of course the great Buck Belue, uh who's a friend of the show as well love talking to Buck and uh it's been cool seeing some of his Brave stuff that he's been doing lately as well and uh I know you guys do a great job along with Chris Domino and uh Nick Cellini covering uh Braves baseball so I've enjoyed this year so far. Um, I want to talk about the current state of Falcons football real quick with you, Brian. Um, The Falcons just wrapped up the 2021 draft, as we mentioned earlier. New head coach Arthur Smith has more weapons to count on this roster right now. Uh, There is a little bit of a rumor that's been circulating uh, about maybe Julio Jones being on the move. Coach Arthur Smith was on the Rich Eisen show yesterday, and uh, he actually said that he couldn't guarantee that Julio would be on the roster next year. If Julio is not there next year, what role is Kyle Pitts, draft pick from Florida with the six frame, going to have to come in and be? Um, it's a good question. I and I'll say I hope Julio's here. I hope they can work it out, right? Because he's
1: a special player on the football field when he's playing. Um, I think he would have played more games last year if they were in contention at all, and it would not have set out the way he did. He's a special football player. He's Harry Douglas played with him. I always when I left. The Falcons, when the Falcons told me I wasn't coming back, they said they were going to try to get younger and faster. And then I guess it was two months later they drafted Julio Jones. And I, guess, <laughs> I guess they got younger and faster because that dude is a monster. Yeah. So
2: I get it. I understand where they're going. I was, you know, 12 years in the league, two bad knees and everything else. And, and Julio Jones
1: was as special as a kid. So um, they did that. And, and uh, it was great. So... You just kind of work through it, and um, you hope he'll be on the team, but when you look at the salary cap situation this year and next, it's hard to believe that he'd be on the team after June 1st because of the forgiveness you get in the salary cap. If you do, in fact, trade him, I guess, trading would be perfect. I, I don't know what you get when you let him go, but if you trade him, you get $15 million this year and three the next and 18 the following year uh, in salary cap uh, forgiveness. So...
2: Part of me thinks, the logical part of me says, on June 1st, Julio Jones is not going to be a Falcon. And then the fan part of me goes, God, I hope Julio's a Falcon on June 1st, because <laughs> he's too good, matched up with Kyle Pitts and everybody else. So
1: if Julio's not here and Kyle Pitts is, you got Hayden Hirsch as a true tight end that can kind of run block and do his thing. You got Calvin Really showed us last year he can be number one if he needed. Uh, Russell Gage uh to have 70 catches in the nfl in your second or third season is pretty good so you'll you'll obviously miss what julio is about which is that dynamic speed and power and elusiveness but kyle pitts you can line him up outside you can line him in the slot you can put him a tight end he's a guy that can make up for three quarters of julio's production i would imagine if you if you focus on him so who knows who knows what's going to happen and I
0: hope that's not the case, but if it is, I I don't have have a problem believing that Kyle Pitts can do something like that. Absolutely. And, you know, Julio is going to have a a spot in Canton, no doubt, one day. Should be a first ballot Hall of Famer. He's had a hell of a career here in Atlanta. And I'm I'm with you when it comes to, you know, understanding the salary cap, but at the same time, uh, that fan kicking in here. Doesn't want to see number 11 uh, wearing another uniform ever. Um, I think, you know, and it was great that Roddy White didn't end up doing that because I was a big fan of his as well. So um, final question for you here, Finn. Arthur Smith has been quoted saying that this team is not in a rebuild and they're ready to win now. Do you buy this or do you think that uh, he's just saying this to kind of, you know, make the Falcons seem like they're going to come in and compete next year um, if you do buy this, what are we expecting from the Falcons come 2021? All right. um, I love his
2: attitude. I love what he's about. Um, offensively, if that offensive line comes
1: together, and I don't care who plays left guard, it could be, uh,
0: what's the new kid's name, Jalen? Uh, oh, you're talking about uh, Jalen like uh, Mayfield.
1: Mayfield, thank you very much. If it's him or Mackinac who's on the roster or whoever, I don't care. Um, if the offensive line can be solidified and Matt Ryan gets sacked 30 times instead of 45, uh, you've got a really good chance of doing something special on offense. If everybody's there, Julio, Calvin, Russell, Hayden, and Pitts, and then the running back room of Mike Davis and company as well, the offensive line is where it starts and ends. Those guys are solid, great. They give up 50 sacks again, then we're screwed. So the offense, I think, depends on that. And I and I believe in them. I think they'll get coached up and they'll do the thing. What comes What it comes down to this year for me is Dean Pease, the new defensive coordinator, mm-hmm. and what he can do with um, really a makeshift defense. i like to pick a Richie Grant out of UCF in the first pick of the second round, Right. pick overall. I think for us. Um, I think he's an athlete. Looks like he likes to hit. Gets around the ball a lot. Uh, Kyle Pitts, obviously, number one. And then he mixed it up with a couple of linemen on offensive and defensive lines. Can those guys play? I don't know. I really don't. Can and now play? who has been here for two full seasons. I have no idea, which is sad to say. So can Dean Pease get the best out of Dante Fowler? Let's hope so. So it's all about Dean Pease and getting this defense going. If they can be top 15, 16, 17 in the league, then I think they make the postseason. If they're not very good,
2: then then
0: they're dead. Yeah, I hear you there. And it'll be nice to kind of, you know, see if we, you know, if we do have Julio out there this year, um, you know, what this offense can really do. Because I think, you know, I'm with you. They can be special. Um, And Dean Pease comes in with a little bit of a Super Bowl background, of course, learning from a guy like Bill Belichick he's going to bring that mentality. And there's a reason that he was willing to unretire and come join his boy, Arthur Smith, here in Atlanta. Um, and that's something you got to commend him for. So um, I'm excited to see the season. I'm excited to listen to 680 to fan and be able to kind of take in some more of your insight this year. Um, but, Brian, that's going to wrap it up uh, for me here at Division II Sports. Um, great stuff, as always. I appreciate everything you did for Falcons football. The way you fought back following the injury is still remarkable to this day. Um, I just want to thank you again for taking some time to talk some football with me. And uh, as always, man, rise up. Yeah, no doubt. Rise up. Listen, if uh, you want to check me out, I'm on Instagram and
2: Twitter at at beefin86. And if I want to see G 2 sports somewhere, where can I go listen to it and see what's up?
0: We are on Spotify and also the Apple Podcast app. And we will have this episode out hopefully here by Saturday morning. Uh, And uh, like I said, man, we appreciate the support. It was a great conversation, and, uh, you know, hopefully one day we can get like you and be uh, behind the mic truly. <laughs> All right, sounds good. If you see my kid Keenan Finner down
2: there in Millageville anywhere, he's at Georgia, Georgia College. He'll be a sophomore next year. Awesome. Make sure you buy him a beer
0: and take care of him. Yeah, absolutely. I'll, uh, I'll try to buy him a beer at some point. I promise you that. <laughs> but, uh, Brian, appreciate it, man. Uh, God bless, and, again, rise up.
3: Great stuff there from – former Atlanta Falcons wide receiver Brian Finneran. Finn shared some really good insight, guys, on a a lot of different stuff, but particularly I like what he said there at the end about the Atlanta Falcons offense. Uh, This team's going to be fun to watch, regardless of, you know, what we see on the defensive side of the ball this year. He did make light of Dean Pease coming in and becoming the defensive coordinator. So I'm really excited to watch this team this year. I love what we did in the draft. Terry Fontenot has blown me out of the water after what I saw him do last weekend, and uh, like he said, this is going to be exciting. So uh, I'm looking forward to it, but with that being said, guys, I want to go ahead and transition over to our other interview of episode 13 with Atlanta Falcons, former second round pick, former member of the New Orleans Saints, and also former member of the Oakland Raiders. The former 37th pick in the NFL Draft, Mr. Curtis Lofton, who is now spending his time in Oklahoma on the golf course primarily. Uh, We're going to go ahead and play that interview now. Hope you guys enjoy.
2: Ladies and gentlemen, this is the main event of the evening.
4: We now welcome on former second-round pick of the 2008 NFL Draft by our Atlanta Falcons, Curtis Lofton. Curtis, welcome on to Division Two Sports.
5: Hey, thanks for having me on, guys. So
4: Curtis, let's get into some uh, Falcons news. So the Falcons brought in many players this past weekend to revamp the roster, and with their first pick selected Florida tight end Kyle Pitts. And Pitts should be an absolute matchup nightmare for LBs and safeties. So my question for you is, if you had to cover a guy like Pitts How would you go about doing this? And how dynamic will this guy be uh, in our offense this year? Well, let me start by first saying if I had to cover a
5: guy like this, you know, I think you got to get hands on him, take him off the line because, you know, he runs just as well as any wide receiver. Um, You know, he's not very big. Um, He's a little bit undersized and weight-wise in my opinion. But, you know, they don't ask him to be a blocking tight end. So get your hands on him and kind of slow him down and just – uh, make the quarterback look somewhere else. But, you know, when you look at this uh, this pick, I think it's a great pick because, you know, it just adds to so many weapons. And, um, you know, you got Julio Calvin Ridley and you add him into the mix. Um, this is going to be one of the most potent offenses in the uh, NFL.
0: Couldn't agree more with you, and I'm really excited to see what Kyle Pitts brings to the table in this new Arthur Smith offense. So let's talk about another great coach that uh, you actually got the privilege to play for, Coach Bob Stoops. So you played your college ball at Oklahoma. What did Coach Stoops mean to your career?
5: Well, Coach Stoops, you know, he came all the way down to Kingfisher, Oklahoma, and looked at a guy, you know, with a graduate, you know, we had 73 kids in my graduating class. And so, The one thing that he told me was, you know, he liked the way I played from the first quarter to the fourth quarter and to keep that same tenacity. And, you know, he meant the world to me because, you know, when I was in high school, my coaches pretty much told me, see ball, get ball. And so Coach Stoops, he took the time to develop me, uh, encouraged me and taught me defenses and, you know, better me on the field and off the field as well.
0: So following your time there at OU, you made the jump to the big leagues. You joined the NFL with the Atlanta Falcons, as we previously mentioned. You were the 37th overall pick in the second round of the NFL draft in Thomas Dimitrov's first draft as the Falcons general manager. What was it like when you got the call from Mr. Blank, Coach Smith, and TD?
5: Well, for me, um, I was told that I was going to be drafted anywhere between 20th to 40th. And I definitely thought I was going to sneak into the first round. So, you know, after the first round goes by, you you know, because I came out as a true junior and, you know, you have some thoughts like, man, did I make the right decision? And then, you know, a couple of picks go by in the second round and then my phone started ringing and it wasn't Thomas Dimitrov, but it was somebody, hey, did you get drafted? I'm like, get off my phone. And then, um, you know, then. And I seen that 770 number on my caller ID, and I answered it. It was Thomas Dimitrov, and um, he said, Hey, what do you think about being a Falcon? And I said, I would love to be. And, you know, it was an awesome process, being a part of rebuilding that that great organization. And, um, you know, I love my time in Atlanta.
4: So Curtis, in your first season, uh, yourself, along with guys like Matt Ryan, Sam Baker, Harry Douglas, and Thomas AQ, were key contributors to the team's success. In 07, the team went 4-12, and 12, but in Coach Smith's first season, the girls went 11-5 and, and reached the playoffs. What were your biggest takeaways from your rookie season?
5: Well, you know, my biggest takeaway was I didn't know how hard it was to make the playoffs. So, you know, I started getting longer in the NFL and realizing, hey, this isn't just, you know, it's a privilege denied to many. You know, uh, I think Tony Gonzalez, he waited – I think 15 years before he got to get to his first playoff game. So, um, I think just from that uh, from that year, uh, we knew coming in as a class that hey, you know, we're 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 going to start this, build the foundation, and we're just gonna keep it rolling, and hopefully win a lot of games. And we were able to do that.
4: So, as I previously just mentioned, you played for Coach Mike Smith. What do you think Smithy's legacy in Atlanta should look like, and what did he mean to your career?
5: Um, I mean, legacy is always in the eyes of the beholder. Um, I think one of the things that you can look at is given the situation with everything that went down with Michael Vick and everything that we had to do. Um, I think Mike, um, coach Smitty, uh, he directed his team through all that adversity and, you know, when he left, it was on a high point and ticking in the right direction. So, I mean, like I said earlier, I think a legacy is always in the eyes of the older. I think he means a lot to the city, and he necessarily doesn't get the credit that he deserved.
0: I couldn't agree more with you. Mike Smith really came in and, you know, revamped that defense that um, in 2007 was really struggling. And, you know, you guys came in, Deku and yourself specifically, and then followed up a few years later with guys like Weatherspoon. And uh, they brought in Mike Peterson, of course. They made a lot of great moves and acquisitions to really make you guys a much better defense. And I'm sure that was great for your career. But I want to talk about one of your counterparts in your 2008 draft class. So Matt Ryan has been a staple of Atlanta sports since he entered the league. Was Matt Ryan a leader from day one, Curtis? Or did he take more of a backseat to some of those veterans that I mentioned, like Mike Peterson?
5: Well, Mike Peterson wasn't there my, our first year. Um, he came my second year. Um, I think Matt has always been a leader, and I think one of the things in order for you to be a leader, especially at that level, is you got to go out and you got to ball, and Matt's always been a baller, and he's done an excellent job, and so as, you know, the years have gone along, the first year, he kind of, you know, stepped up to the plate, and then the second year, you know, it was his team, and he just really, you um, exuberated just everything it took to to win he showed toughness he showed uh guts and you know as a guy on the other side you know you you like playing for a guy and like getting behind a guy like that that's what put his heart and soul into winning games and matt did that
0: absolutely the first game that comes to my mind is that chicago bears game where he ended up driving the team down the field and of course you guys ended up coming away with the victory um Curtis, uh, Matt Ryan was actually a guest on a program that you and your linebacking room used to call D-Block. Um, I know that you were a member of D-Block in 2011 alongside Weatherspoon, Dent, Nicholas, Peterson. Um, what was your favorite memory during that time, and how did D-Block kind of originate?
5: Um, D-Block just originated, I think, it was Mike Peterson, who used to call uh, where all the linebackers, you know, all, all our lockers were by each other and you know we just um whether well, it started with uh freestyle rapping just music playing cars, telling jokes you know that's just something that we just put in and you know tuck off from there and you know that's probably one of my fondest memories because you know just goofing around hanging around the guys that's always one of the best times
0: Yeah, it was always cool getting to hear a guy like William Moore cut it loose in the locker room and show his talent, uh, you know, off the field as well. I mean, the guy is incredibly talented and had a great career in the league, but he can can spit as well, which was pretty impressive. So, um, Curtis, you got to play in the league for a great few years, and you had an incredible career. So I want to ask you, did you have a favorite player that you enjoyed playing against, or was there anyone that brought the best out of you when you'd line up across from them?
5: Uh, no one off the top of my head. I just, for me as a competitor, I just love showing up every Sunday, Monday, whenever it was and just playing football and just getting to use my God given about ability to, you know, just do my thing. And, you know, I'm I'm forever grateful and, you know, to have the kind of career I did, you know, it just, to me, it's like a whole nother life. And, you know, I'm just grateful for that.
4: So, Curtis, let's go back to 2010. Uh, 2010 was one of the best seasons the Falcons ever had, and Tony Gonzalez just put up absolutely unreal numbers. So what was it like playing with the Hall of Famer, and what did he really bring to the locker room?
5: Well, I think Tony brought, um, well, one, a security blanket for Matt, and, you know, you could put that ball anywhere, and if Tony got his hands on it, he was bringing it in. And so having that guy, you know – on the outside you had roddy white and julio jones and then you had harry douglas in the slot and so we were as a and then you had mike turner running the ball so it was just an offensive power powerhouse and you bring tony into that mix um tony you know he was a common presence and one of the things that i took from him is just the way he took care of his body and how he ate and um you know, he got me reading books and different types of things to, you know, increase my knowledge. And um, he was always there to help the younger guys out and push and push the older guys. And, you know, mediocre, being mediocre wasn't um, that wasn't the standard. And so he always pushed everyone to greatness. And I know a lot of guys, including myself, are forever grateful for him.
4: So, Curtis, a year later, one of your most notable plays as a Falcon was against the Bucks. You had an interception and you took it uh, back to the house. So, could you talk us through that play?
5: Well, I just remember playing Freeman and I want to say I was zone dropping. I was just reading his eyes and um, I remember just stepping in front of the pass. I don't know if it was tipped or what and jumped in front of it and uh, ran it back in for a touchdown. It was a great moment and... You know, for a defensive guy, it always sucks because you know you get a pick and you take it back to the house, and then you got to go right back out there and play again.
0: <laughs> Curtis and I always remember that play. Uh, if I remember correctly, you bobbled it, brought it in, and then took it back to the house. So, uh, you know, being a being a defensive player, did you ever like brainstorm kind of how you were going to celebrate your first NFL touchdown, or was it just complete adrenaline when you hit uh, when you hit Pater?
5: You know, for me. Um, I've always been under the mindset of act like you've been there before. And so, um, you know, very seldom did I ever just celebrate or dance or do anything. But occasionally when I did, it was just random and um, I try not to make a fool of myself. (laughs)
0: Yeah, I hear you on that, man. So Curtis, year in and year out. It seemed like you were a hundred tackle a season caliber player. Um, what was it like being the anchor of NFL defenses, obviously here in Atlanta, and then your time in New Orleans and then of course Oakland as well for that one season?
5: Well, for me, you know, it was always, you know, they brought me in to stop the run and um and get after the quarterback and so I always just tried to maximize and give, you know, the team what they paid for and um uh, you know, I think it just says a lot about, you know, who I am as a person because I never miss a game my entire career. And, you know, I've had thirteen surgeries, so pushing through all those types of things and, you know, still being able to get tackles and make plays, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm you know, it's unspeakable and I'm forever grateful for the things I've done in the NFL.
0: Right, and we were grateful to have you as our linebacker for so many seasons, man. It was a real privilege, of course. Um, So following your time here with the Dirty Birds, of course, you did make the move to our arch rival, the New Orleans Saints. We're going to let it slide, but what was your time like playing for Coach Payton? And then the second part of that question is, what role did our new GM, Terry Fontenot, play in getting you to New Orleans? And uh, what was your experience like working with the new Falcons GM?
5: Um, You know, the thing that... uh... Going to the Saints and you know, you're always curious, you know, being arch enemies and you know, what made them so good, especially Drew Brees and you know, the thing that I just always take about Drew is Drew, you know, people always say the first in, the last to leave, that's that that's Drew. But then on top of that, just his mental outlook at the every single snap we took, it was a game rep for him. And so being able to apply some of that to my game and you know, trying to take it to the next level, and then on top of all that, you had Coach Payton, who is, you know, probably one of the most competitive people I've ever been around. And you know, the atmosphere is, hey, you know, we win games, and you know, hey, let's get, let's get this ball rolling. You can't have an off day, and uh, you know, that's I love being in New Orleans as well.
0: Right. And, uh, you know, you did make the move over there and, uh, it seemed like they embraced you as a fan base as well, which I'll, I'll give them credit for that, you know, loving one of our own. So, um, the second part of that question was what role did new Falcons general manager, Terry Fontenot play in getting you to new Orleans? Did you guys have any sort of interaction and what was your experience like working with the new Falcons GM?
5: I mean, Terry, man, he's, he's top caliber and I love that guy. Um, you know, for me, uh, you talk about genuine and hardworking dude and, you know, just if I ever need anything, had a question about anything. I remember when I first met him, he said, man, would you really are you really consider coming here? <laughs> and I said, yeah, I mean, shoot, you know, if the money's right. Hey, I'm considered anywhere. <laughs> and, um, you know, ever since I got there, he was just um you know, whether he's scouting other teams, giving me a little tips about the things that he's picked up. And, you know, he's just a great guy. And, you know, Atlanta's, you know, he's going to make them better. And he's going to build that team the way he wants it. And that's going to last for a while and going to win a lot of games. And like I said earlier, man, Atlanta's great to have him.
4: Final question for you Curtis. Uh, Terry Fontenot's counterpart and head coach is Arthur Smith, and we're very excited to see what he brings to the table. What are your expectations uh, for year one of this new era of Falcons football? Well, if you look
5: at the Falcons, I mean, they've always had um, some of the most talented people on a roster, and it just seems like just bad luck just seems to follow. And so, for me, I think – the first year is definitely a playoff uh, game and a playoff win. And then from there, it's just continue to build each year and hopefully in in a couple of years, three years or so, win a Super Bowl. I mean, because the talent's not the issue. So if you get the coaching issue solved and defense, you know, being able to get the ball back in offense offense, give them more opportunities, I think, uh, you know, the Falcons aren't like where they are at the end of most years.
0: Well, we sure hope so, and we're really excited to see this incoming draft class, Curtis. So that's actually going to wrap it up from us here with Falcons great and NFL legend, Curtis Lawton. Uh, Curtis, I want to thank you for your time. Uh, I also want to thank you for the work that you did here um, in the community in Atlanta. You made a personal impact on my life, and I still cherish those moments today. Um, so, Curtis, thank you again for joining us today on Division Two Sports Radio, and uh, hope you're enjoying the retirement life and some time on the golf course, man.
5: Oh, most definitely. Thanks for having me on, guys. Absolutely, doing a great man. job.
0: Thank you, Curtis. Have a good one, uh-huh. man. All right, guys. Thank you for listening to Division II Sports. For all Division II Sports news, follow us on social media at division underscore two sports.
2: You can go your own way.